pray a moment. Lord, thank you this morning as we come to the Scriptures. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to open them to us. Lord, would you open our hearts and our minds that we might know who Jesus really is. Lord, fill my words, fill this very place, and lead us to Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We're in our second week of our preaching series called Daring. Last week I talked about daring prayer. Jesus admonishes us, he encourages us, he calls us, he even commands us, have faith in God and then pray boldly. Well, this week, as we continue in the series, I want to talk to you about daring to share. Last week was daring prayer. I thought I'd rhyme it. Daring to share. In fact, why don't you say daring to share? Now, I'll unpack what I mean by that as we go along. Um, I want to dive right into the scriptures because they're they're really rich today. It's small, uh, but sometimes the best things come in small packages. If you've got your scripture sheet, you might take it out. I'm going to look at a few of these verses. I might even add one or two if you're lucky, and uh, we'll see where we go. Verse 9, as Jesus passed, this is Matthew 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed Jesus. Now, we got to understand the context. When you read the scriptures, context is always important. You want to look around and see what's before it and what's after it. The context of what's going on is that Jesus is walking down the road, and he's heading out of the town of Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was a very small town on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. It's a little fishing village. And it was the place that Jesus had essentially adopted as his home base for ministry. He would launch out from there. He would go out on the Sea of Galilee. He could go up to the north and even to the the places where the pagans were. He could go down to the south from this place. Home base, it's a small town, no more than 1,500 people. Now, here's the thing that we know about small towns. Anybody from a small town? In a small town, there are a few of us here. In a small town of 1,500 or less, everybody knows everybody. And everybody knows what's going on with everybody else. Can anybody from a small town attest to that? A lot of hands on this side of the room and a few back there. That is the way small towns work. Everybody knows everybody else. Half the people might be related to each other in one way or another. You know who the good guys are. You know who the bad guys are. You know who the religious people are and who the irreligious people are. You know who the moral are and who the immoral are. Matthew is one of the bad guys, and everybody knows it. He's one of the immoral. He's one of the irreligious. And the reason for that, of course, is that he's a tax collector. Tax collectors were hated by their fellow Jews because they were Jews who had aligned themselves with the Roman oppressors and were making a lot of money off their own people. Not only were they collecting the taxes, but they were allowed to skim off as much as they wanted off the top. So long as the Romans got their part, the tax collectors got super rich in the process. So Matthew's a cheat. Matthew's a crook. Matthew's a traitor. And not just to strangers, but to the people he's grown up with, to the people in his own family and in his own town. Now, Matthew is well aware of who Jesus is. Because it's a small town. 
people have been talking. Now, whether or not Matthew's been to any of Jesus' outdoor festivals, we don't know. But everybody's talking about him. They're starting to whisper at this point in his ministry, could he be a prophet? He must be a prophet. Only a prophet could do the kind of miracles he's doing. And the word Messiah is starting to kind of creep its way in around the corners and the edges. Could this be the long-awaited Messiah that God has sent to rescue us? Matthew has heard about the healings. Matthew has heard about the deliverances from demonic forces. And immediately, everybody say immediately. Immediately before this encounter with Jesus, Jesus has just raised a paraplegic up off the ground, right? In open air, out in the middle of town, not far from where Matthew's tax booth is. The Pharisees are torqued. The religious scholars are particularly angry because in the process of raising this guy up, Jesus has said to him, your sins are forgiven. And the religious scholars are like, wait a minute, only God can forgive sins. Who do you think you are? And Jesus says, well, just so you know, the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins. I tell you, get up and walk. And the man got up. And it says the people were astounded. And you know, when people are astounded, they go, woo! Give me a woo. All right, there's this side's actually more astounded this morning. Y'all have to catch up a, a little bit on this side, all right? So they're astounded. Matthew hears this. That's the context. When he looks up from counting the dollars, and Jesus is there. And I suspect as Jesus is there in front of the tax booth, he just waits. He just waits. He just stands there and he looks at Matthew for a moment. Can you see him? Can you see him standing before Matthew? Just with those eyes. He had the most piercing eyes. And and when Jesus stops and, and he looks at you, he has this way of looking through the careful masks that we tend to wear. The things that we use to protect ourselves from harm and to look good in front of other people. Jesus has these kind of eyes that see right through the surface to the heart of the matter and to what's really going on inside of our lives. Now, Matthew's name in Hebrew means gift of God. But I bet you, and this is not in the text, but I don't think it's a far stretch, I bet you there were days in which Matthew sat in that tax booth. And as he got the money from his own people, you can just, you know how people are. They may not have said it straight to his face, but they may have muttered it under their breath. You're no gift of God. You're a blight on your people. You're a curse. I don't think God could even look on you, Matthew. And there's Jesus having just raised a man up, a paraplegic, and forgiven him his sins. And he's standing there and he's looking at him. What does Jesus do? In the pause, in the quiet, as he's looking into his heart, he says, follow me. It's beautiful. It says, and Matthew rose. 
and followed Jesus. There's no condemnation. There's no shame. There's an invitation to share life. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what Jesus has come to reveal. An invitation to share in his life. You know what's beautiful? It's hidden in the English. You can kind of catch it if you're not reading like I tend to read, which is really fast. When it says Matthew rose, it's the same Greek word that's used for resurrection. As in Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus was resurrected from the dead on the third day. Matthew was resurrected from the life of a tax collector. Matthew got up from his life of shame. Matthew got up from a life where he had been numbing everything out with money and the things that money can buy, plugging his ears to the disdain of others as he numbed life out. What he received was an invitation from Jesus, follow me. That's the same invitation he gives each one of us this morning. Come and follow me. Well, what does Matthew do? Matthew gets up, he follows, and then he invites Jesus to his house to have a dinner party. He invites all of his co-workers and all of his friends. That's the leap that's going on. You kind of miss it in the text. Verse 10, it says, and as Jesus reclined at the table in the house. It's Matthew's house. It may be the same day or very close to the day in which Jesus stood before him as Jesus reclined at the table, right? Here he is at Matt's house reclining in the table, and it says, behold, that's supposed to get your attention, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Why was it tax collectors and sinners? Because that's who Matthew knew. Those were the people who hung out. See, here's the thing. Matthew dared to receive this invitation from Jesus to share life, and then Matthew dared to share Jesus with the people he knew. Everybody say, dare to share. He dared to share Jesus with everybody he knew, just the people in his life. Now, what he didn't do, he didn't share morality. He didn't share behavioralism. He didn't share religion. He didn't even share Christianity. He shared Jesus. He shared Jesus. And that's what we're called to do too just to share Jesus with the people in our lives. Not obnoxiously. They were having a party. This was fun. Y'all Christians can be the most miserable people around. <laughs> we got to stop being so uptight. I'm getting off my text, All right? I'm going to be preaching in a minute. So here's Jesus, right? He's there with this motley group of people. I mean, th- these are the outsiders, Right? These are the people in town who were the outcasts. They were the unclean, the unwelcome, the unlovely, the unloved. And yet, they're reclining at the table with Jesus. If we were translating today, they were kicking it with their homeboy. You've got to get out of religion mode and understand that it's that kind of relationship that's going on. This is intimate. They're laughing. They're having a good time. Here's what we need to see about this. Jesus wasn't put out by their sin. And Jesus isn't put out by your sin either. 
he doesn't say, oh yeah, sin's okay, everything's acceptable. He just doesn't let sin keep him from sinners. Is that good news? It's not a barrier to him. He's willing to go over the barrier, to go under the barrier, to go around the barrier. Because he wants to share his life. That's why he came to give his life on the cross. He came to rescue those who knew their need of it. And so they're reclining there. Verse 11, it says, When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees, they're indignant, y'all. They were the ones who went around with their little notebooks and their pens, and they were writing down all the things Jesus was doing wrong. They could report back to home base about how unholy and ungodly and unrighteous this so-called prophet was. I'm pretty sure that's how they sounded, but they said that in Hebrew. (laughs) Or Aramaic. (laughs) It's okay to smile in church. It's all right. See, the Pharisees were all about who was in and who was out. But their understanding of what it meant to be in or out was all about behavior. You see, for them, being in meant following all the rules they were following, and being out meant not following all the rules they were following, because they didn't understand that God is a heavenly Father who, yes, is holy and just, but He's also a heavenly Father who absolutely loves us and does everything possible to make us His own. And that's why Jesus came. They missed it. They didn't get it. They didn't know who he was. They thought God was some unpleasable taskmaster in the sky, unapproachable in every way. Verse 12, Jesus speaks up. When he heard it, he heard what they were saying, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Let me translate it. Healthy people don't need to go to a doctor, but those who know something is wrong, they never forsake the treatment that they need. I mean, just think about it. Other than a preventative visit to the doctor, do you ever just go hang out in the doctor's office when you're feeling great, it's a beautiful day, and you could be out surfing? Right? I mean, that's what he's saying. Look, those who know that they need some treatment are the ones who come to a doctor. He's pointing something out to them. He's trying to show them the condition of their own heart. And it goes on. I wish 13 was in your your handout. I'm going to read it to you. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now this is brilliant, right? Jesus, because he wants these Pharisees to understand who he is, he speaks in a way that they ought to be able to understand. He says, go and learn what this means. And then he quotes the prophet Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6. He speaks to them from Scripture. But he also points out a tragic flaw in their minds and their lives. And this is something I think we need to be careful of. He says, go and learn. They were ever learning, but never understanding. And you can get all the Bible in you, you can imagine. You can learn all about liturgy and all about worship and all about the things of God and still not share the life of Jesus. And that's a terrible thing. But he he speaks to them hoping they'll hear. And hoping they'll understand and hoping that they will respond. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous. I have come to call sinners. 
The whole room's listening at this point. And they're all like, what's he talking about here? Because Matthew and those guys are like, I think he just said we're sick. Right? And I suspect, you know, again, I'm reading into the text, but I suspect Jesus probably turned to him and said, Matthew, you're a tax collector. Of course you're sick. And then high-fived him. All right, that's not in there, but... Right? You've got to get out of the religious fog and haze and allow yourself into the text and think about what the heart of God is and what he's trying to show. See, here's the thing. Jesus is saying that these categories of sinners and righteous, they're valid conceptual categories. They're actually valid categories. Sinners and the righteous, they're, they're valid categories. But here's the thing. The Pharisees insist that sinners become like them in order to be righteous. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Sinners are welcome. Period. Everybody say, sinners are welcome. Now, I'm going to say something. If you're visiting today, and if you ever feel anything from this congregation that would make you go, they're doing this to me, wherever you are in your life, eh, that's all on us and not on our beautiful Savior. I pray to God that that gets removed from my heart and our hearts. And I, I don't think it's there, but, you know, people are people, right? That's why we need a Savior. What Jesus is doing in these, these categories of sinner and these categories of righteous is he's turning the definitions upside down. Jesus insists that sinners are to be accepted as sinners, just as they are. And to fail to accept them as they are is actually the worst kind of sin you can have. And that's the thing that the world looks at the church and goes, mm-mm, they want that. And they shouldn't. Oh, mercy. Jesus is saying, when you don't have a merciful heart, you don't recognize your own need for mercy. You don't recognize your own need for the forgiveness that I've come to give you. That was the great tragedy of the Pharisees. Now what's amazing in this whole thing that's going on, right, is that Jesus' view of who's really healthy is not the people who are all buttoned up and, you know, no one to sit, sand, kneel, people who maybe wear clothes like mine. doesn't mean you have to wear that, but... Jesus' view of who is healthy are those who are willing to come and share his life. And the people who, for whatever reason, say, I don't need what you have to offer, are the ones who are actually very sick. Do you see how he's turning everything on its head? Somebody say yes. Do you mean that? He's turning it all upside down. He's saying the truly righteous person is actually the one who dares to go and share him with other people. And so what happens is Matthew, the hated tax collector, who has dared to respond to the invitation of Jesus and then dared to share Jesus with the people in his life, he's the righteous one in the story. Not because of what he's done, but because he's aligned himself with Jesus. And the reason you know this is true is because that very gospel you're reading was written by that guy, Matthew which means that not only did he share Jesus with those few sinners and outcasts, but he's been sharing Jesus with sinners and outcasts for the last 2,000 years. Is that beautiful? 
You see what Jesus can do with a life that's willing to let go of its defenses and stop being religious and just come to him and receive the life he is so willing to give you, to to receive the forgiveness he is so willing to offer. Man, it's good news. You put that slide up on this stage or on the screen there. So that's a picture of this I'm holding in my hand. I'll just let that sit up there for a minute. When I was in our first church down in another place, uh, it, was a, a, it was a kind of a downtown, very formal church. Lots of lovely people, but it also struggled because many people confused religion with Jesus. And many people confused conformity to a culture with Jesus. And so there were lots of insiders and outsiders at that church. There are lots of people who came faithfully week in and week out, but were sitting there going, if these people really know who who I am, there's no way they'll let me back in next week. Well, I had gone to some events, and um, there was this guy I kept kind of seeing. I didn't see him on Sunday that often, but he kept showing up for things like baptisms, uh, and then he, he came to Easter. And it was after he came to Easter, I found out who he was, and, and I got his number, and I called him. His name was Aldean. Aldean was the black sheep of one of the most prominent families in town. The power family, the money family, the church family. But Aldean was the black sheep. He was the outsider. I called him, and I said, you know, would you like to have lunch? And he said no, and he hung up. Well, that just intrigued me enough to call him back because I'm stubborn. I called him back and I said, you know, I got no agenda. I just wanted to meet you. I've seen you at some events and, you know, could we go and have a meal? And he said, okay, fine, but I don't want your religion. Let's eat Chinese food. I said, I happen to like Chinese food. We met in this terrible Chinese restaurant. Awful, the worst Chinese you could imagine. Uh, First thing he says to me, is he says, I just need to tell you, I'm an old curmudgeon, I'm half drunk, I'm gay, and I don't want your religion. And I said, me too. And he said, which part? <laughs> I said, I don't want religion either. And so we shared life together. And we shared life together. And about our fourth meal, at that horrible Chinese restaurant. (laughs) Aldine said, okay, tell me about Jesus. For the next year, we met every other week in that terrible Chinese restaurant, and we talked about Jesus. When we left, and we came here all those many years ago, This was wrapped and sitting on my desk before my last day. And Aldine had made it. And you notice how golden it is, and you notice how red it is. There was a note that said, although within us there are wounds, above all, Jesus, there is your abiding presence. Friends, Jesus loves people like Aldine. He loves people like you and me. And there's a world that's waiting to find out, is this Jesus real? 
And could he accept me? He's done everything necessary to accept everyone. He's borne the cost. He bears the shame. And he raises up those who are willing to come to him. Please dare to share this Jesus with the people in your life. Let's pray. Oh Lord, although there are within us wounds, above all there is your abiding presence. Please deliver us from the fog. Please deliver us from the fear and the self-righteous tendencies to get religious. Let us dare to share you, not in an obnoxious way, but in just a natural way. The world is desperate to know you, Jesus. Would you show us and lead us to share you with them? We pray this in your name. Amen.